Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film Deep Water. Yes. And joining us today is our special guest, Sarah Schaefer. So welcome, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. We're very excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, Sarah, could you tell us a little bit about what you do in the entertainment world? I am a comedian, stand-up comedian and writer and producer. And, you know, depending on the year. One of those things will be my main job or I'll mix it all up. But I've been I've written for um, a lot of TV, mainly what what us insiders would call comedy variety. And that includes talk shows, award shows, game shows, docuseries like it's all the stuff that they call unscripted, even though every this is what I always say. If someone is saying something on TV. Nine times out of 10, someone wrote it for them, even on reality shows. Sure. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. That's kind of my bread and butter. And, um, but I also perform, have been performing for 20 years. So I'm That's a awesome. stand up comedian as well. Awesome. Very cool. Can you tell us about any of your specific projects, either in the past or that you're working on now? Um, Well, you know, it's now been almost 10 years, but probably the thing that I was the biggest thing I've done um, was I had a talk show on MTV called Nikki and Sarah Live. It was back in 2013. It was an amazing experience. It it only lasted a year, but that actually was like a lot. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. How how short seasons are and how (laughs) quickly things get canceled. We did 25 episodes, which seems insane compared to now. Now you'll get like six, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I've also written for the Mark Twain prize, which does air on PBS or some, you know, uh, uh, yeah, PBS. Um, And I worked at late night with Jimmy Fallon as uh, I I ran all the digital media stuff when the show first began way back in 2009. So I've done I've done it all. Yeah. I've been at the top of the totem pole and I've been at the very bottom. <laughs> so, and and I still, it fluctuates depending yeah. on the day. You know? It's always moving up and down. Yeah. And in terms of my stand-up, probably my biggest thing was I did a half hour special for Comedy Central, which you can see. You know what? I'm honestly not sure how you can see it. I know you can get it. <laughs> you can get it on iTunes. And if there's a Comedy Central app that still exists, yeah. you can see it. Yeah. Speaking of your MR special, that's like a big, that's a goal for a lot. Most comedians, I would say that's kind of a benchmark landmark in your career. Um, How does getting one of those like come about? You know, I tried out, you don't try out, you submit, you know, and oftentimes at that level, you already now have an agent, you have a manager, you've done a few things, you're starting to get known in the standup world. Um, There's different benchmarks that people do. They'll get, you know, They'll get to perform at the Just for Laughs Festival on the New Faces Showcase. That's like a benchmark. Uh, you'll do some do a late night spot on like um, a five minute set on like Fallon or back in the day Letterman or, you know, and th- those lead to these longer specials. I didn't get any of that stuff, <laughs> <laughs> but I got that talk show I mentioned yeah. and that kind of put me on the map. And I had in New York started gaining buzz and and press and things and and had you know I had reached other kind of milestones but I actually tried I submitted for the half hour eight years in a row and wow. got rejected and I was actually a little older age-wise really doesn't matter it's yeah. all about when did you start that's more yeah. important in comedy but um I was a little more senior I guess than a lot of the people that had gotten at that usually when you would get it yeah and you know million reasons why you don't get something you can never really know for sure but you get things when you're ready when you get it you know you're ready yeah maybe you got it after you were ready (laughs) (laughs) i imagine that happens a lot one feedback i got one of the years i submitted was i didn't have the confidence that they wanted to see from me which you know was at the time, I I didn't take it. Uh, that I love feedback like that. That's yeah. like something I can work with. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get feedback that doesn't make any sense <laughs> or a note that is opposite of like what you thought 
they what they told you the week before you yeah. were supposed to be doing, you know, something that's confusing, but something that's helpful like that. I worked for a long time to gain more confidence on stage. And one of the things I did was I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and you do one month of shows every night. I did a, an hour. Wow. An hour. <laughs> it was in, in one of the most intense experiences I've ever done. And it was exhausting, but I treated it like boot camp almost. Yeah. You know, I I went ready. I worked really hard to get ready for the French festival because they say don't show up not ready. You gotta, you know what you gotta know what your show is. It's a whole thing. It's really complicated. Yeah. Um, this whole process. And then I did it and it was so challenging. And when I came back, my shows when I came back to the US were so good. I was so good at stand-up at this point. And I was like made of Teflon and, you know, nothing would phase me. And I had really incredible shows for a few months after I got back. And one of those shows was filmed. I sent it to my agents more just to see like, can we, I was more focused on like getting a, a late night spot at that yeah. point. I had given up. I had given up on yeah. the half hour, <laughs> but they sent they sent the tape that I had sent them. They sent it without telling me. They sent it to Comedy Central. And one day I was just driving around in LA and I get a phone call, pick up and they're like, hey, good news. And I'm like, what? Oh like, my God. Not the half hour. And I was like, I got, it. they're doing them again. You know, like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about what was going on. So anyway, long story short, I got it. And um, by that point, I was just incredibly comfortable with the material. Yeah. I was incredibly, I felt very confident. You know, the, the performance and taping itself was challenging in that my audience was a little off. They like oh, weren't a hundred percent, but like I knew from experience from uh, my friends doing the half hour, they were like, they're going to edit it in a way that makes it seem like you're, they were like, do not worry about the audience. <laughs> and that is, I mean, if you hear, if you watch a stand-up special, yes, a lot of times they are sweetening what they call sweetening it yeah. sure. with laugh track. Nowadays, you, it's really hard to tell the difference between a real laugh and laugh track if it's a good editor. Yeah. It, and sometimes when there's no laugh track, you can still think it's a laugh track. It's really about the editing. Hmm. You know, if, if the sound editing isn't done well, it doesn't really matter what happened in the room. It can sound bad or good, depending. Yeah. So thankfully, they had incredible editors. They didn't cut any of my jokes in a way that made me upset. Awesome. You know, I loved I loved every minute of the experience. Yeah. And I'm really, really proud of how it turned out. So if you want to see me doing yeah. it at my stand-up peak you know <laughs> or at the time at the time now there's more peaks to reach but, you know, <laughs> yeah you know that's interesting because i mean the editing on a special is so important because i mean comedy yeah. is about timing right yeah. and so that that's so fascinating that call out that how important that is um and i'm glad that you're happy with what they did to me editing is one of the most critical parts of tv comedy whether it's scripted TV, late night, whatever. I learned that when we had our talk show. And I mean, we had one editor that was, we had a couple that we worked with and one was clearly the standout. You know, right. he just, he would take what you had done and he would make it even funnier, even better. And he was creative. It's hard to even explain. You just know it when you see it, a good editor, you, you, they get what you wrote on the page, they get what was filmed and they get it and they bring you back something that was like, wow, this is even better than we thought it was going to be. And of course he has now gone on to win multiple Emmys for being one of the main editors on John Oliver's show. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. His name is Anthony Mialy and he's incredibly talented. So, you know, in terms of standup, my husband is a standup director. He directs specials and I, you know, witness him editing um, many specials and I just know what goes into it. And it's really the more engaged a comedian is in the edit too it also helps because they can tell an editor that may not be familiar with their preferences, you know, like, Hey, the, if you cut this part out, the punchline doesn't make sense anymore. You know, yeah. a good editor knows, but some, need, <laughs> some need to be told because they're not, whether they're, they're just not familiar with yeah. it or whatever. Yeah. So what was your path for your career, Sarah? Where did you get started? I grew up in Virginia. I was not someone. And I think this is something I've noted I'm sure it's different now, but from my generation, I didn't grow up thinking I'm going to be a stand-up comic. Yeah. But I think I'm saying for my generation of women, 
I, you hear a lot of male comics say like, oh, I was doing routines in my living room at age right. 10. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Women felt like a lot of women I know came to it later. Mm-hmm. They came to the discovery that they were funny later because, you know, being funny as a, as a young kid, as a girl isn't really encouraged or rewarded in yeah. the same way it is for boys. Sure. It's almost a consolation prize. Like I feel like for me growing up at the time that I grew up in, being funny was a defense mechanism. It was a way for me to avoid bullying um, because I could beat them to the punch. I, that's self-deprecation is a huge part of what I do comedically. And so I beat the bullies to the punch. I made myself ugly. And then I could go, well, I'm being ugly. I'm hunched over and I'm pretending to be Urkel dating myself there. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'm being a grandma or I'm being a character that's funny and that's easier than because I just knew I wasn't the ideal pretty girl, popular girl, the cheerleader type. And so I had to find a way to get through it, you know, (laughs) after all that later um, in college, I started doing sketch comedy and, you know, gradually figured out I was a funny person and I liked doing this kind of thing. And it was after college that I decided to try and pursue it in New York. I went straight to New York. I did not know what I was doing at all. (laughs) I had never seen stand-up comedy in person. I had only seen it on TV. Awesome. And I went to New York blind and was trying everything like improv, sketch, stand-up, Whatever I was doing was just a mishmash of whatever I thought I could do to make someone laugh. So I was doing like musical comedy at first and like PowerPoint presentations Yeah. when it was really hard to do that shit. Yeah. yeah. Technically speaking, yeah. nowadays it's like plug and play and everything's easy. I had music cues and stuff. It was always, I. there were times I showed up to a club and the tech per- didn't work. And so I didn't have an act. And I, like there were times I had to leave and I had friends who had come to the show and bought tickets, you know, like no. be crying in the back. Yeah, really hard in the beginning <laughs> doing all that kind yeah. of stuff. So um, I was a weirdo in the beginning. And then gradually I had a day job in New York for many, many years. And then I was just working my way up in the New York scene. And my first break was really I got hired to host an online show for AOL. it was like one of the first video shows and it was like i put up little clips it was right when youtube was just starting to become a thing that kind of set me off on on a path towards doing a lot of digital media type comedy and i worked at best week ever which was a show on vh1 yeah i remember that show yeah that led to fallon and then from there, um, yeah. So that's kind of the very short version of a long 20 years of random <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we hear that from people who grew up outside of Hollywood, outside of New York, outside of LA. Entertainment wasn't really a career they thought was a thing. Like, you know, they didn't no. think like, I'm going to go be an actor. I'm going to go be a, a comedy writer. I'm going to go, you know, like they just, it wasn't like in the realm of possibility until they went to college and they met mm-hmm. someone or, you know, after college and we're like, Oh wait, maybe this is actually yeah. a viable career path. So, yeah. Well, and I, I really, you know, I was really unsure of what I wanted to do with my life after right. college it took a year to kind of figure it out. But a huge factor was a friend of mine from my sketch group in college had moved to New York and was an intern for the upright citizens brigade. Oh, Very nice. cool. Yeah. And, and uh, she was like, you've got to come to New York. So it really was someone else telling me, like, yeah. it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Like, <laughs> we can do this. And it was very fortunate that she encouraged me mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. It was so much harder than I thought it was going to yeah. be. You know, I was very naive about a lot of it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I wish I had the podcasts that are available like this yeah. one. <laughs> you know and there were books and things i should have read that i didn't there were questions i should have asked that Mm. i didn't you know i i I went into it just really thinking all you got to do is be funny and work hard (laughs) not knowing (laughs) any of the other crap (laughs) that you're gonna have to deal with and navigate yeah i found that very interesting very cool so when you're working on all these different shows whether you're you know you're writing for your mtv show or whether you're writing for fallon or whether you're doing several other projects you worked on what's your day-to-day like or how is it different from project to project oh yeah i mean i've gotten into a rhythm over the years where i get i know the rhythms of this the flow of it 
the faith it takes of, you know, you could go nine months without working. Right. And I'm now at a position where I know there were many, many years where I thought I'll never work again. I'm not there. I don't have security. I still feel that often, but I have much more faith now to go, you know what? Another job is going to come. And it's always the moment where I am starting to panic. Like, is it over for me? (laughs) Do they need to put me out the pasture? That's when the phone rings and somebody's like, hey, can you, can you hop on this show? Can you start tomorrow? (laughs) And then you make (laughs) a shit ton of money in a very short amount of time. I mean, to me, it's actually not that much. Like the industry has changed so much. TV writers used to make so much more money than they do now given cost of living and also right. literally making less money because of the changes in the industry yeah. with streaming and residuals and shorter seasons and all of that. But my day-to-day is, you know, if I'm on a show, writing for a show, I'm usually pretty busy and I'll go through, you know, I just finished a gig yesterday that it's, you know, a lot of times it's four weeks to, depending on the show I work on, It'll be anything from two weeks of work to three months of work. That's usually the time period I'm working. Okay. And sometimes they're really intense, yeah, crazy amount of work. And then it's over. Sometimes it's easier. It, it, with the pandemic, it's made things a little bit easier because we've started to realize we don't necessarily need to be in the room all together all yeah. the time. Right. And writers tend to work at, on their own pace. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's when you're in production that it gets crazy. It's okay. when you're on set and you're in the flow. And that's why a talk show that's on all the time, like a late night show, yeah, is one of the hardest jobs you can have in this business because even though they have like breaks, like two week breaks, mm-hmm. a sure. month break here and there, it is exhausting. Right. And, and I was actually up for one of the big late night shows this year to be a writer. And I got like kind of toward the very end Yeah, and I didn't. And I remember telling my husband, I was like, you know, I'd really love to do this. It's known as being one of the best ones to work for the money you can make. If you get that, there's only so many of those though, as we know, there's only like three big network, you know, plus, you know, there's five net big network talk shows or whatever. If you can get one of those jobs, it's a shit ton of money, Yes, (laughs) Um, but it is, so much work and it's such a grind. And I was like, Scott, I'm 44. I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to, if they give it to me, I'm going to take it. I'm going to be excited and I'm going to go all in and just, you're, I was like, but it's going to be a major change because I have like (laughs) lost all my stamina. I'm old now. Can I do this? But yeah, my day to day is either I'm very busy or I have literally nothing going on. And I, (laughs) for months on end or some, you know, but I keep myself busy with my other lane, which is my own projects, my stand up. Yeah. Interesting. You've written for a lot of shows with hosts. Obviously you've hosted a show. How do you get into their voice? Cause you're writing for a certain person and it has to sound like them. How does that work as you change jobs? That was a real challenge for me at first. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was trying to get these jobs, I felt I could only write for myself. It just felt so impossible. I mean, everything I've done in comedy, I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to do that. And then I, I just keep trying until I do. And sometimes trying is just literally not thinking about it for a while. And then it pops in your head and you're like, Oh, there's the idea. I fixed it. (laughs) But with writing for hosts, you know, a lot of it is getting to know them and them being very vocal about what it is they want. A good host knows their voice and can very quickly let everybody know I'm never going to say something like this versus this, you know, a host that doesn't know their voice is hard to write for because they're wishy-washy and they're kind of panicked all the time and changing lanes. And, and, you know, that can be difficult, Yeah. but when everybody's on the same page and they let you infuse your voice into their voice a little bit, that's when it's really good. And it's very collaborative. And when they are good at channeling, different perspectives that's a really good host i think john oliver is probably one of the best at that yeah. in terms of really community he's like a british white dude but he's very good at giving voice to things that you know someone like him would never normally know about yeah. sure and us that we would never know about and you know that his writing staff is 
and his research team are bringing these stories that it's like, oh my God. I mean, it's a nightmare. You, sometimes you watch a show and you're like, I shouldn't have watched that right before bed. Yeah. Right. That right. was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and now I can't, I'll never sleep again. Yeah, I'm um, just awake for life. He's really good at that. I mean, Seth Meyers is good at like, you know, he shares his platform with his writers mm -hmm. in a different way than John Oliver. But then there's also hosts that are really just very particular and they're only going to say what they're going to say. And it's, you know, and that works as well. It's when they don't know what they want that it's, it's very challenging. Yeah, sure. But the best way is just you're, you're setting them up for success. Right. And you don't you can't go into writing for someone else with ego mm -hmm. and you cannot take it personally when they don't want to say what you wrote when they change the wording to be their way yeah. even if you know it's funnier the way you wrote it right i mean right. Yeah. especially when when you're writing for award shows or like the mark yeah. twain prize you have these huge celebrities coming in and you've written it they don't trust you mm -hmm. yeah and you're like I'm telling you, yeah. if you say it like this, it's going to be better. And I can't tell you how many times that you go out, you watch them go out there and they think they know better than you and it fucking bombs. And that's why whenever <laughs> you see, I'm telling whenever you see an award show and you want to die yeah. because what just happened was so <laughs> awkward, people always go, the writers for this, I'm telling you nine times out of a 10, it's the ego of the yeah. actor going, uh-uh, I got it. Don't you worry. I got it. Or they they do read what the writers wrote, but they don't know how to execute it. Right. And so they do it wrong. Really yeah. fucking awkward. And it's like, ah! you know, or they can't sometimes it's because they you don't hear from them. You know, you're you're you get on these shows and you're assigned to the different celebrities. Okay. You're like, oh, you're gonna be with Brian oh, okay. Chris you know whatever as a writer and then you pitch back ideas here's three ideas of what we think you could do yeah sometimes they come with their own ideas they're usually terrible <laughs> um <laughs> unless it's like a comedian like right. amy poehler like unless it, but if it's like an actor yeah. sometimes people who are supposed to be funny because you if it's a comedic actor yeah. that's the danger zone because they're like I'm funny. No, no, you're not. You were funny because you read the words yeah. of the funny person that wrote it for you and you played a character that was funny. Um, that's the danger zone. But yeah, you, you're assigned and you send them ideas. And sometimes it's going through a publicist okay. and you're not hearing. It's just crickets uh. until literally an hour before. And they're like, are, what are they doing? We have to put it in prompter. You know, oh my like, God. So, it, you know, there's all or sometimes it's someone like Jerry Seinfeld and he's going to do it himself and you trust, you know, it's going to be yeah, great. Right, you know? right. Or it's someone like Stephen Colbert who gets his um, staff to write his stuff for him mm -hmm. for other events. And uh, you and they know his voice and they do it right. So when you ever see award shows, you're dealing with a mixture of sources of the okay. content. I won't name any names, but sure. we all know. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah we <laughs> well, this actually brings up a, a good question for me, though. So I'm a huge Nicolas Cage fan. Huge. And oh, I yeah. noticed <laughs> on your resume that you worked on Netflix's The History of Swear Words, a show mm -hmm. which was great, which I loved. So how yeah. how do you write for Nicolas Cage? Okay. So first off. That's an example of a show that was incredibly successful. It was like one of the top trending shows on Netflix when it came out for a while. Yeah. Didn't get a second season. Right. Yeah. I don't know why. Infuriating. I mean, yeah. we were all like, oh, this is going to be one of those where they do a million seasons, yeah. different types of words, history of this, history yeah, of that. Yeah, it was a really right. cool show. It was fun. And it was really well done. Yeah. Nicolas Cage nailed it. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. So first off, he came in, you know, whenever you write for these shows, they've got the, sometimes there's no talent when you, when you, it's just an idea that was sold. This was an idea, a really good idea that was sold and the writers were brought on and they were still figuring out all the talent that was going to be in the show. And they were looking for the host. And, um, you know, they always have a list that's like really psychotically, uh, overly optimistic, sure. like, Oh, you're not going to get, you know, Tom Cruise right. to host this. Good luck. Yeah. It ends up being, <laughs> I won't name, cause I don't want to insult anybody. Yeah. But it ends up being like, f list you yeah. know like whoever they could get yeah. you know yeah anyway they were able to get nicholas cage to, yeah so they were able to get nicholas cage to do the show and in part because they pitched it to him and he really liked it and that's mm -hmm. one thing he said yeah he does things that he's excited about yeah 
And he read it and he was like, I love this and I want to do it. That's awesome. And he did it and he was first off incredibly professional. Um, I've, you know, worked with a lot of different people over the years and he was extremely professional. We had one day to shoot with him. Wow. He approved. He Part of his deal was like, you know, he gets to approve the scripts. Sure. There was very few things that he didn't want to do. He was gung-ho on all our jokes <laughs> um, and it executed them perfectly. I mean, there, this is a guy who understands comedy. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, things that I was like, I can't believe he said that. Because <laughs> I, I was the main writer on the penis episode. Nice. Or Dick. Sorry, yeah. Dick, not Peter. Yeah. Dick episode. And, uh, you know, like I wrote all these silly jokes, like, um, you know, the name Richard and like yeah. he did this whole one of fake names. And I wrote all that. And like there was this whole thing where he was sketching a really realistic looking penis. And then we changed it to like a cartoony one. He did all this stuff. And like there was a joke where it's, he is he's looks like he's talking to his penis <laughs> and then he looks up and he's like what did you think i was and it was like he's facetiming with his accountant yeah. he did all this stuff all these ideas we had that we wrote for him and he did them perfect and he made them even funnier in the moment he yeah. would add things that were just really nicholas cage weird <laughs> funny and then the first i remember we so it was during the pandemic unfortunately i didn't get to be on set physically with him because of it but i got to zoom in cool. and watch live feed of it and Scott, my husband, we like put it on the TV because we were so excited to see him. And he was off book. He had the whole thing memorized, which he didn't. There was a prompter. He yeah. could have just read it, but he, he was off book. Um, he he like had actual motivation. He I won't reveal like some yeah. of his because I don't know if that's okay to do, but yeah. he he had like work he had done on the character of the host. Like he went on this which typically people would show up to something like this and be like, what do I say? Yeah. What is it? Right. Read and not care. He took it very seriously. And then that you could see it yeah, come through it in the really final well result, yeah. which is a testament to his talent and how, why everything he is in is so memorable Yeah, mm -hmm. because he's a goddamn pro. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I'll just say one thing. When you watch the show, the very beginning uh, the very first episode is fuck. Mm -hmm. And he, it, it opens with him like saying a little thing and then he stands up and he goes, fuck, <laughs> and he screams it. And like, we didn't realize how far he was going to take that. And I don't think we even, like, we just had him go, fuck, yeah. you know, but he went all out. And that's the first thing. Like he literally did, nailed it on the first take. And like, you know, he would do things within one or two takes. And like, he was a, I wouldn't say he was impatient, but he was very just like, okay, now, yes, uh -huh. and okay, and now we're going to do that again. He was very in control, and he didn't want to waste his own time or anyone yeah. else's. I mean, I was just really impressed with him all around. That's and amazing. He, he wasn't overly like, hey, everybody, I'm so nice. How are you? Like, mm -hmm. he was... he. He wasn't like that. He was just courteous yeah. and polite and professional. Right. Efficient. And yeah. that I appreciate more than someone who's just kind of loose and like, you know, or being fake. Right. Yeah. But they're actually difficult to deal with. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Well, I love him. I wish we could do more. Yeah. 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 I am sad that show's not continuing because it was really good. I mean, it was like. It was really entertaining, but it was also just really educational. Yeah, I, really <laughs> yeah, I learned so much. Yeah. I mean, we could, and, and, you know, it's edited down. I learned, I mean, I have such a depth of knowledge now about the yeah. etymology of every curse word. Yeah. One of those things where it looks like a documentary, but uh, it was very scripted. Yeah. You know, we, we wrote what we thought people were going to say. Mm -hmm. And we had to basically write full scripts of what we thought it was going to be. And that's when I learned, oh, documentary is very written. Yeah. yeah. You know, you you write out what you hope people are going to say because you have to know where you're going with it. You have to right. know what story you're trying to tell. Right. Do you want to talk more about your solo show? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so I'm working on a show right now. It's a solo show because it's more theatrical and it has an actual concept as opposed to me just getting up and telling jokes for an hour. And it's called Going Up. And basically it's a it's a fake seminar where I'm teaching you how to make it in comedy. Oh, nice. cool. And it's got a lot of culty layers to it. And um, 
it involves miniatures, which is something I'm really passionate about. And I'm still developing it. And like, there's some challenges with it. I'm like, how do I get, because I'm just going to start taking it. I'm just been doing it in LA, but later this year, I'm going to start doing it in different venues. Oh, nice. In select cities. And it's not the type of thing I would do in a comedy club. Like mm-hmm. I'm finding other types of venues to right. do this in. I'm My big challenge right now is how do I make sure that people care about this more inside thing that I'm talking about. It's not that it's inside jokes that you wouldn't get because because it's a seminar, I'm teaching you right. everything, but I'm trying to make sure that it actually like relates yeah. and hits to any audience. So I'm trying to find those themes that I know connect with anybody. You don't have to know anything about. And I'm how do I communicate that? Like, okay, I, I'm part of me thinks that I shouldn't even explain what the concept is when I'm advertising and just go, this is my solo show. Yeah. The underlying current within it is me kind of coming, coming to peace and reckoning with what I was saying earlier. Like, I wish I had known all these things when I started out on this path. And I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to of like, Mm -hmm. where you embark on a path in life and you look back and you go, what would I say to my younger self? if I knew then, you know, so that's kind of what the show is. And it's very creative. I mean, like I'm doing every, all of my skills are coming to, like when I was talking about PowerPoint and yeah. all those things I was doing when I started out, I'm re-embracing the weird me yeah, and not trying to fit the mold of doing the half hour and those yeah. things like that. I'm just, this is me having fun and just doing what I want to do. And I'm, that is bl- taking blind faith because yeah. I'm, not sure anyone gives a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have any moment from your career that's like just a favorite moment or a really unbelievable moment where like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for my job? The easy answer is the talk show because that was something that was a really big dream of mine. And then for it to actually happen, sometimes I am like still like, did that happen? Sure. It was like we were in the the TRL. I know. I was gonna ask studio, you. Like live yeah. in Times Square. Just look back on that, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Especially now, because like you know, my career has sort of gone in all these different directions, and I have not continued on this like talk show host mm-hmm. path. Although something is in the works that I might be on tv again okay cool. i'm so excited but i can't yeah it's okay it's not final yet yeah. um but very excited about that <laughs> maybe happening but i also am okay never being on tv yeah. i just love being part of it i i just want to make cool stuff yeah one probably one of the craziest was winning an emmy yeah yeah, yeah. so what was that like I would, and it's fresh on my mind because the Emmys were last night right. and the job I was on was an Emmys adjacent. It was like a red carpet show. Okay. I did. I write for all the red carpet stuff for E for the oh, Emmys usually cool. every year. Again, that shit is written yeah. <laughs> <laughs> live, but it's written, you know, yeah. or it's planned. Um, and they got to have somebody like me there, yeah. you know, and it's not like my top comedy job of all time, but it's a, it's the cool gig to get. But, um, Anyway, I was so I was there yesterday and so it was fresh on my mind. But um winning the Emmy, it was the creative arts ceremony. So when I went, I thought, oh, this is gonna be in a conference room somewhere, you know. Yeah. It's gonna be for the riffraff. Like I I didn't understand <laughs> creative arts Emmys, which is the week before for all more of the technical awards and, right. and some of the cool ones, but they just can't give them all away on the main show or it'd be like a 12-hour yeah, show. So do a ceremony the week before. And I didn't know it was the same exact thing. It's in the same room, oh. same set, or at least back then it was. I don't yeah. know what they do now. You know, same room, uh, same party, same glitz and glamour celebrities are there because they're nominated for other shit and they're there to support and there's hosts and presenters and 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 uh then they did air they filmed it and aired it on like stars you know i don't know if they do it anymore but um this was like over 10 years ago now and it was for late night with jimmy fallon and i did we they were giving awards for like digital media and like digital experiences connected to shows and it was an, a whole new category maybe the second year they had given and they kept changing the parameters and the title of the categories yeah. and stuff um and i don't even know where it's landed now but i did win twice 
that award twice. And it really was so surreal. I mean, to go up on stage (laughs) and be holding that thing and like not even believing it, like it just was in the party. And I mean, you're just, even if it's not the big Emmys, then you go, I know what this feels like. So sometimes it is hard for me to do that red carpet stuff because I'm like in a truck on in an alleyway. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like seeing friends of mine, like go walk the red carpet and stuff. And I'm like, I want to be in there again. It was so (laughs) fun. I was like, how do I just... I'm like, even just, I'm like, tell my husband, I'm like, you go win something just so I can go and be in the room. Mm. It's, it, I mean, it is, it's, I, Amy Poehler calls it the pudding. She's like, I, she's like, yeah, these things are stupid. I mean, they really are stupid. It doesn't matter. She's like, and she's like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't need an Emmy award. Yeah. She's like, but you want it. You want it. <laughs> Your book. She goes, you want that pudding. Yeah. Give me that pudding. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it, it, it's, they spend a lot of money on that shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Fancy. It's good. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. We got one more question for you, Sarah, before we move on and talk about our movie. That question yeah. is, and you mentioned wanting to give you know advice to younger folks or people who are just starting out so what advice do you have for people who either want to get into writing for comedy for tv or stand up mm-hmm. or you know starting their own thing the joke answer is be born rich yeah sure. that is very helpful <laughs> so go back and get yeah. that done first <laughs> um, makes everything a lot easier you know it make it it removes some barriers no um it regardless of your background i mean it, my advice is to buckle up cuz it takes way longer than you think it's going to take mm-hmm. and if if you make it big early in fact you should buckle up for it to be even more difficult to sustain that yeah level because i am now have had peaks and valleys and you know i had so many of my dreams come true in my early 30s mid 30s and now I'm in my approaching mid forties and I don't know if I'll ever get that glory again. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's taken a few years to come to terms with yeah. and go, Oh, it doesn't just keep going upwards. And I know I have worked and been around some of the most successful comedians ever. And I've heard them say things that make me go, it never goes away the worry of failure the rejection the inadequacy feeling never goes away so that's something you have to work on internally Mm -hmm. and you have to get right with yourself and your self-worth and understand that you are more than your work and that is my lifelong that's my battle right now I've had other battles I had to deal with first that's a battle now that I'm heading into which is how do I find self-worth outside of my career? And I do find self-worth in my creativity mm. and separating career and creativity and understanding those lanes, because you're going to have a lane of where you've got to make your money and your lane where you're going after your creative pull. Those sometimes are not in the same lane. A lot of times they aren't. And so it's always finding that balance and Share your work with other people. Do not hide it away. And now it's easy to do that. It's easy to share your work because of social media. But in the beginning, I knew people who were too insular with their work and refused to share it with other Mm -hmm. people and they failed. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need feedback. You need to fail. That applies to any kind of creative career. Mm -hmm. Comedy is easy to get feedback. You go to an open mic and you immediately find out, did that work or not? But writing it's hard to get your work in front of other people in the beginning. And so you need to find people your age. that You can go, Hey, will you read my jokes that I want to submit for monologue? Hey, will you read the script I wrote? Will you read this essay I wrote? Yeah. Uh, find a place online if you need to and get feedback, get actual criticism. Even in the beginning, it may feel like you're just sharing it with friends who are being soft with you. That's okay. Let them be soft. You don't need to be, the world will beat you down enough. But the sooner you can get other people's eyes on your work, the, the easier it will be to improve. 
but let's get to our featured film. Today we're discussing the 2022 thriller Deep Water. It was written by Zach Helm and Sam Levinson, and it was based on the novel by Patricia Highsmith. It was directed by Adrian Lin, and it stars Ben Affleck, Ana de Armas, and Tracy Letts. So before we get into it, Susan, can you give us a quick breakdown? What is this movie about? Yes. So this movie is about a couple uh, named Vic and Melinda Van Allen. Uh, Vic, neither one of them works because Vic developed this like computer chip that's used in drone warfare. So now he's very wealthy. So he retired really young. and he pre- I somehow missed that detail. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's- Holy shit. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it adds a darkness. That that colors the whole thing even more. It adds a darkness. It adds a darkness to his character. As though he needed more. Yeah. But um he yeah, so that's how he got so wealthy. So they don't have to work. It seems they just have a lot of parties. They also have a child uh named Trixie. (laughs) I've seen a lot of summaries say that. She was allowed to cheat. I did not personally get that vibe from his character that he was down with her uh, having other relationships outside of him. But either way, she does. And he knows about it. And her lovers tend to spoiler. But also, this is pretty much in the the previews. Um, Her lovers all end up mysteriously disappearing, dying going away. So we just see that all play out. We see the different guys she brings and just sort of flaunts in front of him there's a lot of dinners with him and her and the guy she is you know sleeping with outside Mm -hmm. of him and yeah a lot going on a lot of parties some really interesting side characters i think yeah 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 Yeah, we'll get into it (laughs) i don't know if that was an excellent summary but (laughs) it it sure was so sarah you chose deep water for us to watch why did you choose this movie because it was one of those movies that I laughed really hard at, yeah. even though it wasn't supposed it's not a comedy. It's not a comedy. I love movies like that. I love my my best friend Kim and I, we watch the same kind of TV and movies. Like we're that's one of our main like love languages with yeah. each other yeah. is what we watch. And um, you know, we're always alerting each other to new shows and things to to check out. And she's like, girl. You need to see deep water. If this is speaking our language, um, I love psychological thrillers. Yeah, like me too. To, especially nineties ones. Yeah. Like my favorite thing is when a movie opens with like a um, an aerial shot of a car driving down a two lane road in the woods, and it's like, <laughs> like that's the beginning of right. a movie. <laughs> You're just following a car for a long time yeah. and then they end up at the cabin in the woods and then everything unfolds. That can either go thriller or horror. It yeah. depends. But um, I love a 90s thriller, um, crime thrillers, yeah. all of it. Yep. They're just so good. And this has um, uh, shades of it. Yeah. But it's also got a Gone Girl vibe. Yeah, like it's, totally. It's, totally. It's like budget totally. Gone Girl. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because Ben Affleck is in both of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the and, quality is not the same. No. And it's it, it's funny that your summary, it sounded like you were giving a really shitty, not not offensive no, to No, no, I but get what you mean. Like, oh, this person like is not good at summarizing movies. Actually, you did a really good job. <laughs> it's the movie that's the problem. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense. Like at the very beginning, you're like, you're like, oh, we're just diving in on yeah. this weird relationship yeah. that right. these people right. have, and you're not. It, it, you, it never seems to land on its footing of like, wow. what is this? And there was one point where I really was like, I got excited. I was like, ooh, is the twist that they're in on this together, right. and it's like, oh, they get off, like right. it's their mm-hmm. sex right. life, and it's this game they're playing, and mm-hmm. that's what I thought it should have yeah. been, but it wasn't. No, it has. One of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in my life, other than The Room, which is The Room, the room is, is great to me the funniest unintentionally yes. funny movie of all time <laughs> to the point where I thought I was actually going to need like oxygen <laughs> where <laughs> because I was laughing so hard. This movie has a climactic scene where Ben Affleck is is it's a chase scene, but yeah. it's a bike, Ben Affleck on a bike, chasing a car. <laughs> and for some reason, he's able to 
keep on his tail it's through the woods yeah like on a dirt on like a dirt road maybe dirt road um, well what's insane is that the car is on a regular road ben affleck is on a dirt trail through the woods so i don't even know <laughs> yeah. how he knows where the car is right it doesn't make any yeah. sense and then and then the guy in the car keeps going damn autocorrect yeah, like, yeah. He's trying to <laughs> like they try to write in a justification <laughs> yeah. as to how this car chase was feasible it was like there's something wrong with the car's auto steering yeah. feature <laughs> like it's so bad and then it literally he literally chases him off a cliff and when the yes. car goes off a cliff i mean the scream <laughs> yeah. came out of my mouth of laughter honestly it's it i'm not spoiling it it doesn't make it any less enjoyable no. in fact you'll enjoy it more given the description that i've just told you because what <laughs> real reality of it is even funnier and then at the end the, the ending is so it honestly gave me gone girl vibes yeah. at the end because it was like ambiguous sort of oh they're still together what's happening now like yeah. is he going back to kill her yeah apparently in the book he does yes the book is way different. really yeah i didn't read totally the book yes in the book i, I read I, I i looked it up at the end i was like i don't fucking understand yeah. this movie so I, I googled it and i was like oh the book and i'm like why did they not do that in the movie like it was just, i don't know he kills her in the book yeah he strangles her because she finds out that he's killing these people but in the movie she like decides to be fine with it i don't know but uh-huh yeah and it, it's so weird too because the way the movie plays out is like it's just the fact that she doesn't know it earlier is yeah. also weird right. because yeah. we as an audience right. are like what are the chances right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's not even he's so slimy about it that's what made me think oh this is a thing they're in on together yes. and we're about to find yeah, out like she gets off on him killing the men she's cheating with right she's yeah. choosing yeah. the prey right she reels on that would have made more that's right. what i thought was happening <laughs> yeah i think we were we were we were up here with the, this movie and the movie was down here i don't know if it was editing or I, oh, I've, man, never there's read, a lot. I've never read the book but yeah, speaking of the bike scene, as soon as he hopped on that bike to chase the car, I said out loud, what, he's going to chase him on a bike? Like, are you <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, he is, and he wins. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we have to discuss this whole movie. I know we're, we're focusing There's on the ending, lot. but let's back up. There's a lot. So, yeah. uh, first of all, this movie is trash. And uh, <laughs> I I try to find something enjoyable, but I feel like the movie didn't even get started until about 45 minutes in when people start disappearing. And it's like, what have I been watching for so long? And I feel like these characters are so weird. They're weird. Yeah. There's something They're off so about strange. all of it. They're not like relatable at all all like they're trying like you got these great actors like ben affleck and ana de armas are great actors on screen yeah. i feel like they just didn't like each other like these characters like i don't even know why they're still together no chemistry yeah they're just like Ugh. yeah because you don't understand where it's going and like mm -hmm. you're right. just like oh she's just cheating on him in yeah. front of him and yeah like, he's taking it and yeah and but he also really awful and so He's it's like you don't too. feel sorry for him no. at all yeah <laughs> so yeah, they're weird. both just terrible people and then there's their child who just like this i feel like this has happened a lot where like there's a kid when they need a kid there but then if they need to both be out somewhere the kid doesn't matter like there's no baby like i guess they did have a baby they, they have a babysitter the kid is also weird though because she knows her dad's a murderer no. <laughs> she's like i know you drowned that guy it'll be our secret it's so weird oh, i will yeah. say i feel like the kid doesn't fit in this movie no. because like no when you said oh and they right. have a kid i like didn't even remember that right. i was like geez because it doesn't like, make any sense that they have a kid right and <laughs> like the kid is sometimes like trying to be like the cute comedic scene of the film like when it's always singing and it's kind of annoying you know she's annoying oh, her mom yeah. and it's like why oh this is why are they always singing at the yeah. parties right why I, they the I forgot about that the music at the parties is so yeah. weird it is weird it's super weird there is nothing relatable 
about no, who they were. It didn't represent right. any world that I had <laughs> ever been in or been a privy to. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, yeah, and then when the one guy does finally drown in the pool, which is kind of where at the at the beginning you're like, you don't know if Ben Affleck's guilty, right? And I'm like, okay, maybe that's the movie. Is is he guilty? Is he not guilty yeah. of making yeah. these guys yeah. disappear? <laughs> then the movie's like, nope, he's definitely the killer. Yeah, he obviously killed that guy. Right. And that. <laughs> And then that's on top what of, made me go. Well, maybe he didn't because they're obviously making us think that he did it. Yeah. Right, exactly. We're, yeah. The movie doesn't want to be a mystery, though. It's like, no, he killed him. Yeah. And so well, you try really hard as the viewer to make it a mystery. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And then they bring in like the guy dies in the pool and they bring in these police and you're like, OK, now it's about trying to catch him. But then the police never come back. Oh, yeah. They <laughs> they just let it go. Yeah. It's like everyone like there's this big rumor and they talk about the rumor a lot, but you never actually see people like spreading rumors. And it's so weird. Like their friends are like super supportive of him and they don't like her, but they're always throwing these weird parties. I don't right. know. It's it's a weird movie. It's like it wasn't bad enough. It, it was just bad enough. It was the right level of bad where you you still kind of enjoy it. Yeah. From the this is bad level right. and like that chase scene really mm-hmm. really seals the deal of like okay it was worth watching this because it was yeah. so ridiculous <laughs> the characters weren't scary they weren't sexy they weren't funny there was like nothing about them they were just so bland and i was so yeah. shocked because all the people in this movie are super talented so i don't know what happened yeah. here you, you wonder what went wrong yeah for sure um, we have not discussed the snails yet. Okay, we got to talk about the snails. <laughs> oh my god! It never comes to that. Also, doesn't no. ever pay off. He no. He collects snails. He <laughs> like he breeds them. I thought he was gonna poison somebody for sure. Yeah, because he brought up yeah. if you don't starve them before you eat them, you'll die because they'll poison yes. you. And he yes. never oh my god yeah. i can't believe i forgot about that part Holy I shit. it's so easy to forget about because it doesn't fit in anywhere a lot it doesn't fit in at all it doesn't make any sense and then it almost feels like they cut out yeah yeah like three hours of film yeah <laughs> i thought he was going to kill her with snails something yeah the or snails. it was gonna or that would be what 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 catches him is he yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. nail trail on right <laughs> like there's shells on one of the bodies or like what should have caught him is she found the the guy's wallet in his snails right oh yeah it was like in the, what the hell why did he put that there they don't eat wallets like they're not gonna get rid of him well, he is a terrible murderer i am gonna ask you guys what your favorite scene is um oh, God, but i, I think i mean first of all the finale of, of the bike chasing the car is awesome. But I love right before that scene when he gets caught trying to like push the body down <laughs> with a stick. With a stick. Oh, yeah. And then oh, he yeah. just like he's hiding the stick behind his back and like talking to the guy who catches him. And the guy's like, what do you got there? A stick? And he's like, yeah. And then like the <laughs> body comes up out of the water. It's like it's so terrible. I don't know. I, I laughed very hard. I thought it was just so cheesy. Mine is definitely the chase scene. I mean, there's just no comparison. It yeah. just was so crazy and funny. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Susan, do you have a favorite? Uh, this is tough. They're at that party at the house and they meet that guy who ends up being in the chasing at the end. Who's like, he writes noir novels he's or something. He's a crime writer. Crime yeah. writer. And he's like, oh, I know you. You killed Mike McRae or whatever the guy's name was. Right. Because like he heard there was... A rumor that he murdered this guy because he told one of Aunt Melinda, his wife's lovers. Right. That was kind of a funny. Oh scene. yeah. Was really he like, uh, he's like, yeah, I, I do kill them, and it's yeah. like, he just confessed. <laughs> Wait, right. what? Telling all of you. <laughs> yeah, that guy kind of being on his case afterwards was. It was just so weird. Like, why would that guy care? Other than I think he just wanted to write a book about it. I don't know. It's so strange. Yeah. Yeah. But the one last thing I, w- I did want to talk about was the end credits. Yeah. Where the little girl just sings the. Uh, oh, the in seven- the car. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, it's what? like you have this weird dark ending. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like where like she's like burning the wall to cover mm-hmm. it up this crime. And then all of a sudden there's like this cute little girl, you yeah. know, singing and dancing that, in the back of a car. Right. It was like, was this something that like the direct it's the director's daughter? And it's like, isn't this yeah. cute? It's like a whole outtake. 
Yeah, that's what I thought. I feel like someone related to this movie is like, oh, I love it when the little girl sings. Just let her sing over the end credits. Like, and so then they had to do it. That's what it felt like to me. Crazy. <laughs> like one person involved in this movie thought that was hilarious and made them do it. I don't know. It felt the whole time like the writers and director were trolling the audience of like, well, you guys think this is the kind of movie? No, it's not. I don't know. It's so strange. We like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling I Wouldn't Call It Romance. We're going to see how well both of you know famous movie couples and their complicated plots. So, Sarah, you're going to be playing against Susan. Mm-hmm. So here are the rules. I'm going to describe the plot of a well-known thriller film. As soon as you know the movie, shout it out. If you're correct, you will get a point. If you're wrong, the other player will get a chance to steal. You will get a bonus point if you can also name the main actors of the film. I have five plots for you to identify, and the mm-hmm. first person to name three correctly will win our prize. And Susan, what's our prize? I have some Life in the Grids merchandise, like a mug or a shirt, something like that. Yeah, okay. we'll send you yeah, something we'll in the mail. Yeah. All right. Really Sa- high stakes. Oh, totally. Sarah, are you ready to play? Yeah. Right. Susan. I'm going to I'm gonna be terrible. <laughs> All right. So remember, just interrupt me as soon as okay. you know, yell at the name of the movie. Okay. First one. On the occasion of his fifth wedding anniversary... Nick Dunn reports that his wife, Amy, has gone oh, missing. Gone Girl. Gone Girl is correct. Hey. One point for Susan, and Susan, can you name for a bonus point uh, the actors? Ben Affleck, and I know, is it, Ro- it's not Rosamund Pike. It, it is Rosamund Pike. Pike. Okay. Yeah. Good job. All right. Two points. Well done. Right. I was just going to say, I've seen all these movies, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Because this is my type. Yeah. I'm not going to remember being able to remember anything <laughs> It's okay. Um, I'm so glad that you say you love these movies, Sarah, because I think <laughs> I think perfect. you get a yeah, couple you of them. The perfect category. <laughs> All right, number two. A former rock star, Johnny Boz, is brutally killed with an ice pick during sex, and the case is assigned to Detective Nick Curran of the San Francisco Police oh, Department. I I know it. Wait, hold on. I know exactly what it is, but I can't think of the name right now. Uh, this is a very famous movie. Um, yeah, I know. Um, can you name the actor, Sarah? I'll give you a point. Yes, it's Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas. Yes, that and is correct. It, it's the movie where she lifts up her leg and it shows yes. her puss. Um, nice. And uh, I, for some reason, I, I'm blanking That's on okay. the name. Uh, it happens to me. If you, Everyone who's listening knows. Oh, yeah. So you have one point. Susan, to steal the name of the movie, do you know it? I don't know. I this is a movie I always accidentally call in decent proposal. It's basic instinct. That's basic instinct. Ah. <laughs> Score is Sarah has one, Susan has two. Okay. All right, next one. Catherine and Sebastian are seductive, manipulative step siblings who get what they want when they want it. Catherine makes a bet with Sebastian. Sebastian must bet Annette, daughter of the headmaster at their school, before the end of the summer break. Annette has stated that she would wait until love and marriage to sleep. I know it, but I can't again. I know everybody in it. Yep. <laughs> I even know the original movie it was based on. <laughs> <laughs> if Catherine wins, she gets Sebastian's vintage 1959 Jaguar Roadster. If Sebastian wins, he gets Catherine, the only girl he he knows he'll never have. So what is that film? It's like dangerous, something like Dangerous Minds, but it's yes, not it's that. Yes, it's very close. That it, you are so based close. Based on Dangerous Liaisons. Yes, that's um, correct. The original. And Ryan Philippe is in it. Yes. And, <laughs> and what are the other, uh, name one of the other female leads. I'll give you a point. It's not Reese Witherspoon. It is Reese Witherspoon. Oh, that's correct. yeah. Okay. All right, so you got and a point there. where they kiss and the saliva goes across. Um, yep. Oh. Do you what? know the name of the movie, though? Like it's like little brats or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so close. It's another Two word for words. mean. Think Disney villain who likes to murder dogs. hundred one Dalmatians. Yeah, what's it? her name? Oh, Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions is correct. Oh. Good job, Sarah. Like, it's like dangerously mean people. <laughs> is that the movie Ryan Felipe and Reese Witherspoon met on? Probably. I don't it know. Doesn't matter. Probably, yeah. yeah. And Sarah Michelle Gellar is the other oh, other wait. lead. Sarah Michelle Gellar, Thelma yeah. Blair is not in that movie. I think she's also. Thelma Blair gay. is in the movie, but yeah. she's not the main. Okay, not the main. Yeah. Well, good job. You pulled it out, Sarah. So that's that's additional two points. So you're three to two oh. now. 
All right. Step it up. We've got two more for you real quick. Next one. Nina is a ballerina in New York City Ballet Company (laughs) whose life, like all of her other professions, is completely consumed with dance. She lives with her obsessive former ballerina mother, Erica. Black Swan. Black Swan is correct. Good job. And who are the leads? Natalie Portman. Yes. And. Who plays Lily, the other dancer? Like Minka Kelly or something like that. That's close. It's like one of these really pretty model types. She was in that 70s show. The answer is Mila Kunis. Mila. That's okay. Yeah. Well, good job, sir. You got one point there. So that takes you up to, is it? I think it's 4-2. Four 4-2. Two. Four two. We have one more? One more. Okay. All right. So if Susan ties it up here, or Sarah, you could close it out. All right. Your last movie. After his wife, Alice, tells him about her fantasies, William sets out for a night of sexual adventure. After several... Eyes Wide Shut oh, is correct. I've only seen that movie once, and I think I blocked <laughs> most of it out of my head. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. Who stars in Eyes Wide Shut, Sarah? Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Correct. So yes. that cinches the win for you. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, Sarah, is there anything you would like to plug? Just um, check my live dates, which are all linked on my social media, Sarah Schaefer 1. Because I'm starting to go out on the road more, especially if you're in L.A. I'm doing a lot, my solo show, a lot here. And I am doing regular stand-up on the road as well. Just it, It's all makes sense on my little yeah. link. I do have a podcast, but it's on hiatus okay. indefinitely for right now. I'm just trying to figure out what to do with it. But it's called The Schaefer Shakedown. But, and buy my book, Grand. <laughs> Be the 13th buyer. Yeah. <laughs> Baker's Dozen. And one more time, what's the name of the book? grand perfect well thank you for joining us tonight yeah, we appreciate it yes thank you so much it was so fun life in the credits is hosted and produced by me susan swarner and me ben bloom it's executive produced by michelle levin the music is written and performed by steve trowbridge you can hear more of steve's music at trowbridge the show logo is created by melissa durkin if you'd like to support life in the credits and get access to exclusive perks you can do so at patreon.com if you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. What, he's going to chase him on a bike? Like, are you <laughs> <kidding me? laughs> No, yeah, he is, and he wins. Yeah. <laughs>